Hi, this is Ty France, and you're listening to the Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. My name is Donovan Jones, and to my right is Roy. Hello, everybody. How's it going, man? It's going good. Very yeah. good. I'm very happy to have it going good. Uh... We are um, big, kind of big news today. We'll just get that right off the top of the top of the hour. Well, it's big. Well, there's there's top several the kind of big news. It's, it's several little nuggets of news dropping. But I, I guess there is some motion on the the trade front. Yes, we didn't lose any. We didn't lose any prospects. Hallelujah! Yeah. So the JT Real Muto trade happened. Uh, Miami sent JT Real Muto to the Phillies for three players, uh, including Sixto Sanchez and a, a major league catcher. Um, I don't have the trade up in front of me, but what's relevant to to us is that the Padres didn't trade anybody away. Yes, and that's really good because what you know the Sixto Sanchez is you know kind of a maybe a, a Mackenzie Gore, maybe an advanced like an Adrian Morahone kind of comp. Yeah, like that level of player, just really good pitching uh, prospect. And it, it, although I think you know the Padres have a lot of those guys. You don't know which ones are going to hit and which ones are going to miss. So keeping all of them right now, I think, is very important. Mm-hmm. So making, once again, it would have been a trade to get another catcher that we have plenty of people, you know, plenty of uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? Yeah, it's, Death, it's, sorry. it's not you. a position yeah. where there's an immediate need. And with, no. with Hedges and Mejia um, projected to be the starters, and then you've got Austin Allen, Luis Torrens on the roster – um, and then what was it, Chris Stewart that they signed yeah. um, to the, a minor league deal? Yeah. So the, yeah. the, the catcher position is fine. They would have been trading away something like Mejia, uh, Chris Paddock, and another player, like yeah. a 40 future value level player, like a yeah. like a, a Pedro Avila or a Nick Margavich's kind of level, which I, there's, there's no need right now. I, I understand you're incrementally improving the position and you're bringing in somebody who could be the best at that position, but... I feel like Austin Hedges can be better and Francisco Mejia can definitely show what he can do. Right. I, I say, give him a chance. Right. It's, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not a Bryce Hopper and Manny Machado. He is probably the best catcher in major league baseball right now. Uh-huh. And there's an argument for getting him and expending those guys, but not now. Yeah. Not, not when, not when we're on the cusp of, you know, something that could be really special. If it was the missing piece, to, to you know that final piece of the puzzle right. then right. yeah you you go for it but we're too far away from that yeah absolutely but we digress this is the minor league podcast so we're going to start talking about minor league stuff that's right and today uh, the Padres extended their development agreement with the El Paso Chihuahuas the Chihuahuas yeah congratulations to El Paso that's cool and they also introduced Eddie Rodriguez as the manager today Th- this wasn't news to us I think we mentioned this a few episodes ago yeah but the official announcement that's noteworthy yeah. so congratulations to Eddie Rodriguez yeah I think it's interesting that the Padres have been promoting their coaches and their managers um, along with the players, that the hitching, the hitting coaches have been moving up, the pitching coaches have been moving up. I mean, some guys, Burt Hooten stays in single-A Fort Wayne. It seems like that's just, that's home, that's where he wants to be. Right. But for guys like um, Pete Zamora and, and that type of people that move up, Raul Padron, they're go- coming up with the players. What? So Rod Barajas coming up being the bench coach, now a lot of the guys that played for him are now... On the major league roster, right? He's familiar with them, knows knows everything about them. Uh, it could be that I don't know that that uh, that that window, the uh, the bridge 
to Andy Green. Mm, yeah. Um, some say that he's uh, lying, uh, you know, manager in waiting. But going back to Andy Rodriguez, uh, good point there. He's gonna major. He's gonna coach in the major league. He's gonna manage in the major league. He has before. And you're right. He he man. He was an interim manager for the Miami Marlins at one point. But what I was getting at, he he was the manager for the Storm last year. Yeah. Yeah. If if you out there weren't aware. Uh, but he's got so he's got decades of experience in baseball. He's been running a developmental school in Puerto Rico for years. Yeah. He was the manager of the World Baseball Classic team yeah, at Puerto one Rico. point, and it's he's got so much experience. Yeah. Well, and I, I like the idea that the the coaches are moving up with the players, and there's that familiarity. There's the um, you know, Bert Hooten. I think he's you know he's he's pretty old. He's pretty up there. Probably, you know, he lives right across the street from the ballpark. Uh, probably doesn't want to go anywhere. Has no ambitions to become a major league pitching coach. Is really happy with where he is. Uh, being able to make a huge difference. I mean, an incredible difference mm-hmm. in, um, in the development of ballplayers. Uh, you know, some players, they don't want to coach in the major leagues. I'm not sure if Bert ever coached, uh, pitch coached in the major leagues. But guys like Tony Gwynn, he never wanted to pitch. In, yeah, sorry, he never wanted to pitch. He never wanted to coach in the major leagues. He wanted to make a difference where he could. And that's- uh, yeah, I would imagine that's a lot different coaching 18 to 22-year-old guys that are fresh into pro yeah. baseball versus coaching you know, veterans that, you know, with yeah. all that experience and all the pressure and all that stuff. Exactly. And if I ever coached, you know, I would probably stick with like Little League, you know, like <laughs> T-ball. I'm an excellent T-ball coach. I'm a good coach pitch pitcher. Uh, <laughs> you, you can you'd be a pitching coach in t-ball right well no i'd be a coach pitch pitcher i'd be like oh okay yeah actually i the one year my nephew played uh well my nephew's playing t-ball um i helped coach the team and then we went to coach pitch and then you know you toss it right there and then they hit it and yeah we did pretty good but yeah, that's about as good as i get um a question came up today on twitter after all this uh the announcement of el, el paso was from ozzy fryer and his question was is it good to have the Padres AAA affiliate in El Paso, in the Texas League? and yeah, The PCL. Yeah, in the PCL. Um, is it a good idea with how the ball moves? With, you know, in Texas, the ball just flies out everywhere. Um, in El Paso, I think it's a little bit of an elevation issue there where mm-hmm. the ball it just jumps off your bat. And the numbers get skewed. Like I think Austin Hedges was hitting like 342. Oh, yeah. He posted like a 600 slugging. Yeah, when he was down there. I, and I remember going, he's ready. And then he comes up, you know, and he's hitting 215, 220. Yeah. It's it's interesting. And I, I think that the major leagues, I mean, the reason why we're with El Paso is brand new stadium. It's an excellent agreement. Uh, we love them. They love us. We're, you know, the continuity of that in the community, I think, is bigger than, you know, kind of developing ballplayers. And I'm sure they take that into account. But it, it's, you know... With the organization that the Chihuahuas and the Padres is bigger than just the ballplayers. You know, it, it has a lot to do with that, I think. Sure. Um, it, it's true that the ball flies like crazy there. And I understand that they're actually going to start using the same ball in AAA that they're using in major leagues. Yeah. So we might see even more of that if there is any truth to the ball being lively. Um, but they also play in Albuquerque and Las Vegas. Um, I guess they're not playing in Colorado Springs anymore, but they'll be playing in uh, San Antonio. So there's a lot of hot, dry climates. Yeah. Um, and they at, at some elevation. So yeah, the ball's going to carry. Maybe that encourages people to hit 
the ball up in the air. Maybe they get a false sense of, of confidence. Yeah. Um, I have noticed that the, the Padres have skipped triple a with pitchers at times. Interesting. Somebody succeeding in double a, and then they'll bring them up all the way. Um, maybe to, you know, they've got their comp, maybe to keep them from getting their confidence destroyed yeah. <laughs> by, by watching Jabari Blash hit 40 Just home runs in triple a. I don't know. I, it, 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 on one hand, half of the league is dealing with the same environment. Yeah. Um, the, the Eastern league is, or I'm sorry, it's the international league. Is that what they, what they have in, it's called the, the international league. Uh, but there's not actually, well, it was back when there was an excellent team in Canada. Yeah. There's no longer a team, international team in the international league, mm-hmm. but you're correct. But that's the, the East coast version of the triple a level. Um, and that is notoriously a pitcher's league. So it's the opposite. So I, I don't know. I, it'd be nice to have some happy medium, but I guess you have to roll with what you have. And without any other opportunities and what they find another affiliate to go to, I, 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 I don't know. I, there's, oh. a, there's a familiarity with El Paso. Yeah. The, there's support for the Padres in El Paso. Because when we were out there last year, I was surprised how many people were walking around with Padres gear on. Nice. That's nice. very cool. Yeah. And that's huge. Um, moving on. Do you want to talk about the Try Harder podcast? Sure. Oh, uh, the Stock uh, Brothers. Okay, so when we last spoke, I had just barely started listening to the second episode of their podcast. Yeah. And the whole thing about, yeah, well, I don't really stretch, and I don't really do have a cool-down routine. I just get up there and throw. I it, when you when you were describing that to me, I kind of got in my mind, and it, I was thinking, oh my god, what about the risk? What about the, right. you know, the? But once I listened through the episode. There's a lot of awareness about the body, about what your body's telling you. And so he was saying, like, if you are getting tenderness in small muscle areas, you're probably doing something wrong. You need to think about when. So there's a lot of training. There's a lot of muscle growth. There's a lot of – I get the sense that Robert Stock and his brother Richard have a pretty advanced idea of biomechanics. um, And they seem to speak using physics language. Um, And so when they talk about – their preparation. It's not that they don't like the bands. They don't like some other things, but they, they do prepare their body to throw. It's not like they just roll out of bed and start trying to throw a hundred miles an hour. Right. They work into that. Yeah. But I, I do like the, the notion that he's training his body to do what he intends to do. And that's throw the ball really hard. Right. And so if you practice doing long toss, you're not necessarily practicing the same motion. If you're using stretchy bands, and even if you know you're doing that thing with your elbow, that's not exactly the same load, the same velocity, the same um, muscle reactions that you're getting when you're trying to throw an actual yeah. baseball. So you're kind of training something different. And as a golfer, a lot of this stuff was kind of speaking to me because you use a weighted club, you use a training aid, whatever, and it's not quite the same as when you're up there hitting a ball. And right. even when I'm standing on the driving range, and I'm hitting to a target out there, it's not the same as being out on the course. I can't replicate that. Yeah. So I can try to play mind tricks and try to get my mind there and try to put, you know, the same pressure and imagine the situations, but you never can until you're, you're If it's there. a dog leg left or dog leg right, where yeah. you position yourself. You just want to, yeah, when you're in the driving range, you just hit the ball as far as you can. Try to hit it straight. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and also, that was interesting with the long toss. Is like, then building up arm strength, I, 
I really want them to go kind of deeper into what he does to build up arm strength. I have a feeling that they will over time because okay. I, 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 that seems to be the, the goal of their show is to yeah. try to explain their method a little bit. And it's unconventional, but then he did mention driveline. So now I want to know if he's worked with the driveline guys um, because they have an unconventional approach. Um, but at the same time, it, it it's working. It's bearing incredible fruit. There's yeah. a lot of people that are becoming a lot yeah. better after working with guys like driveline. Um, and he mentioned advice that Trevor Bauer gave somebody. Somebody asked Trevor, yeah, how can I get my kid to throw harder? And he said, put your kid at shortstop and have him throw the ball across the diamond. Yeah. And he'll learn how to throw the ball harder. And that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. It's, it's the throwing motion. You, okay, yeah, you work out, you exercise all these muscles, but really what are you trying to do? You're trying to take a, whatever, a five-ounce baseball and throw it hard. Yeah. Well, it, I, I believe he did work with driveline. I, I tweeted something out. I think I might have said something on the podcast. I tweeted something out. Uh, and one of the guys from driveline goes, uh, he didn't. He was he worked with us, but I think I think he said he worked with us, but he didn't do it for velocity reasons. Okay, something something like that. So maybe he was looking at spin rates or that kind of thing. Because right. he's apparently he's got a new weapon. Have you heard about that? Uh, do you have more technology? He, no, he's got a new pitch. He's got a breaking oh, ball. He's got a breaking pitch. ball that he's been working on. It's, he didn't say that. He didn't say breaking ball. Oh. He said a secret pitch. Oh, it's a secret pitch. It's a secret. Pitch. Okay. All right. Probably a ball. Well, you guys got to listen to the podcast. It's <laughs> it's so interesting, but they're it, so nerdy. They're such nerdy guys. Yeah, and and, and they're the sense of humor is dry. They talk a lot about indie ball, uh, and I love that's the part I like about it. Like just, dude, if you think the minor leagues are bad, like the indie ball is really bad, and they talk about um, getting released and. You know, if you saw like the clubby and he came, you didn't have to say anything. That clubby would just show up at your, uh, at your, you know, at your stool or whatever. And like, you didn't have to say anything. He was like, yeah, you know, kind of like Well, that. and they felt Look bad for the like, clubby yeah, for, for being the clubby, for being the guy that breaks the bad news. <laughs> right. Or sometimes you show up in the, uh, in the, in the clubhouse and your uniform isn't there. Yeah. There it is. You're done. You're like, that's it. Um, super interesting. The guy, I can't say enough about seeing those guys. And we're still trying to get them on. So, you know, Stock Brothers. Yeah, if you're out there. If you're out there, let's talk indie ball and unconventional ways to keep your arm to throw harder. I'm, I'm really intrigued by, by the whole thing. Because yeah. I'm used to seeing people work out a certain way. And oh, exactly. You know, there are certain exercises you see everybody do. And I never really paid attention to it. But I, we sit right by the bullpen. So I saw Robert Stock warm up a handful of times. Yeah. And I don't remember him being one of the people out there um, – you stretching the band and right, with the band where yeah or, or even throwing sideways. the weighted ball at the thing i he just kind of got up and just started throwing yeah well the whole even the whole driveline kind of routine uh i saw a couple years back when uh when i was you know, at ucsd and the coach there coach james was uh was using them the, the driveline philosophy with uh taking the weighted ball and then throwing it back as far as they can yeah plyometrics yeah what the hell is that? You know uh -huh. what I mean? It's just so unconventional. You think long toss. You think, you know, other forms of, of you know, weightlifting and long toss is like the traditional ways you want to get to throw harder. Yeah. Not, you know, releasing the ball backwards as far as you can or using a weighted ball up against the wall, which makes sense. But but you think about it. When you're playing long toss, you you stretch your delivery out and yeah. it's, it's an elongated, smoothed out motion that you do. Yeah. It's not the same thing as when you stand on the mountain and you really try to pump a ball in there. No, and when you throw a long toss, you want to throw, you know, you're throwing an arc up high. You're not throwing down in a downward plane. So it's 
totally different than pitching. The only thing I could think there is that since the mound is, there's a slope to the mound, you're stepping downhill when you're pitching. Yeah. So if you kind of imagine that now you've taken that slope and you flattened it out, that I think that's the idea when you play long toss. So now instead of launching it flat, now you take that angle of the slope and you lay that flat and that's the angle you should be throwing up in the air. But still, oh, interesting it's, physics. You, you got to practice what you play. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's a different approach, and I'm really intrigued by it. So one piece of news that we uh, glossed over here: um, the Caribbean series has started up. So that is, it's like a postseason for the Latin leagues. Yeah, it's the Caribbean World Series. So you've got Venezuela, Mexico, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and now Panama. This is the first time Panama has competed since 1960. Nice. And it was supposed to be hosted in Venezuela, but because of all the political unrest, I'm, Venezuela is a bad place right yeah. now. You know, and, and real quick, I've seen a couple of players. I, I can't remember them to save my life. A couple of Padre players um, with video in Venezuela. Well, at least with the Venezuela flag on, you know, uh-huh. on their Instagram photograph or video. Okay. And I was like, yeah, yikes. It's scary. Um, Alan Cordoba, who's... Um, He's from Panama. Panama, um, not Alan Cordoba. Uh, Luis Torrens is oh, from, yeah, that's right. He's from, from Venezuela. Venezuela. Yeah. Now, last week, and I don't know if it was video that he took, but he posted this little video of the police just beating the hell out of this guy. Oh, wow. And I don't know if it was his video, but he posted the video and it, you know, said something about, uh, I can't remember the translated tweet, was like, how can you treat your own people like this or, or whatever? And, dude, it's just brutal. That's And scary. the lawlessness of it. And to go back even further, when Sam Gini was uh, talking at the Fan Fest, mm-hmm. he talked about sometimes we go to places that are you know aren't so friendly. And uh, speaking of which, one time we went out to uh, Venezuela, and uh, you know he quote went through some interesting roadblocks. Yeah, you know to see a left-handed pitcher, and, and it was kind of like that's it's Venezuela's gnarly. It is, and I would think even some of these other countries that you're going out in the sticks. Various factions of military or whatever. Mm-hmm. I know we're getting kind of into politics stuff, but it's just it's just going to be insane. So Ben Badler covers the international prospects for yeah. Baseball America, and he does a fantastic job of that. Um, and he just published an article about kind of a, a preview of this year's July 2nd class. Um, and so he's talking about players from all these different countries. But in his intro, he said that he was not going to state any bonus any estimated bonus values from Venezuela for the safety of those players. Yeah. Because now if that player has a price tag attached to him, he's got a price on his head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's scary. But anyway, the wow. point is, so <laughs> because all of that's going on in Venezuela, they decided to host the Caribbean series in Panama. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of what brought Panama back in, but it's, it was cool watching the, they had their little opening festivities the other day. And I saw in the videos, there was Alan Cordoba posting stuff to Instagram from there. So Alan nice. Cordoba and Javier Guerra are both playing um, on team Panama. Nice. Javier Guerra hit a home run in what yesterday or the day before. So uh, yeah, he's, he's raking. It, it, Javier Guerra is an interesting player. Great glove. He's got the pop, but then he strikes out all the time. He it, looks lost. I mean, he, he does. Looked, he looked lost in that high A ball. Mm-hmm. And to go up to double A, just looked lost. And I don't, I don't know. Triple A, he was in El Paso all last year. Yeah, it's just, it, it's sad. And you wonder, you know, every once in a while, a squirrel will find a nut and he'll hit one out. Yeah. Um, if he's going to be, you know, developing into just a 4A or just maybe a triple A, you know, lifetime triple A guy. Uh-huh. And maybe come up if an injury happens or something like that. And then you get a couple of days of big league money. But I yeah. don't know. 
So I have a personal anecdote about about uh, Javier Guerra. Yeah. So we went to one of the prospect games. It wasn't the last one. It was the one before. So 2017. Yep. And afterwards, we went into the team store. We, we Angela and I were walking around and we saw a group of like five or six young guys wearing backpacks. They were all big dudes. And we figured those guys are probably a bunch of the players that were here. Yeah. And so we saw them go into the team store. And so we ducked into the team store and we saw Dan Dallas and Cole Bellinger and a couple other guys. Oh, that's right. You um, said this a couple, but, several weeks back. But I saw Javier Guerra and I didn't say anything to him, but I kind of walked up to him and he turned around and looked at me. And there was this look in his eye of like, you know, it, it was it was like a standoffish kind of a insecure, unsure kind of a look. You yeah. know, there wasn't a look of, you know, confidence and. Yes, I wonder if the guy's just – and I heard that he's been going through some psychological stuff. Right. But I figured that they put him in Lake Elsinore with with Eddie Rodriguez. Yeah. He spent a whole year in Lake Elsinore, and I figured that they paired him up with Eddie Rodriguez to try to get his head screwed on straight. Right, right. So – and it's it sucks when you see somebody who's talented and they just can't put it together. Yeah, and, and then maybe it gets in their heads and it's just – Yeah. The fear just creeps in and, and you know – these people are human beings and to try to do this at a high level and not succeed. And, you know, maybe you're reading your own press. Maybe you uh-huh. know that you're pressing. Well, and he was picked up out of his home country yeah. and put in another country, yeah. you know, a different culture and all this. And yeah. now he's, some of his teammates don't speak the same language. The ones that do, maybe they're from different countries. Maybe they don't get along. I, who knows? Yeah. It's, it's weird. You know who gets along? Huh? Gable Arias. And Luis Udias. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Really? They, if you see some, if you guys like, I'm a 13 year old on the social media. Uh-huh. So if you go to Luis Urias's uh, Instagram, you see him and and Gar- or not him and Gara, but uh, him and um, Arias taking you know taking shots. Really? Yeah, not taking shots, but there are pictures of them in the backfields in uh, Peoria. So I saw that they went to um, Urias went to uh, Las Vegas with Gerardo Reyes, the yes. pitcher. Yeah, and so they went, and there were shots of them. They're out of the club. There's, you know, they're going to some some concert. You know, he's. I've seen him hanging out with Francisco Mejia, obviously with Fran Mill. Um, there was a Instagram has been so much fun to follow this yeah. this off season. Yeah. Fran Mill is so active on there. Yeah, and and so he'll do the thing. You know, ask me a, a question. Ask me una pregunta, and uh, and somebody asked him, Franchi or. Urias, and he said both, and he posted a picture with both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Reyes is a Mexican, also from Mexico, so that's right. He yeah. is, yeah, yeah. I've I've had fun watching, going on Instagram and seeing pictures of these guys hanging out. Yeah, a bunch of them went to a hockey game. Um, this was a couple. Of, this was like a month ago. I bet you that was in Arizona. It was. It was in Arizona, and it was like six, coyotes, six guys all together, and Tirso Ornelas was one of them. Yeah! By the way, Tirso Ornelas is freaking jacked. Have you seen pictures Dude. of him lately? Yeah, I saw the pictures of him at the hockey game. Yeah, there was a picture that he – it was him and Luis Patino and uh, somebody from the Cardinals organization. His name's escaping me right now. Uh, John Torres was the name. Okay. And Ornelas, he had his arms folded, and he's – He's swole. He's big. And I saw a shot the other day of Luis Urias in a guy where we're just, you know. Uh, anyways, he looked ripped as well. He looked like he put some bulk on some upper body. The, the, the biceps look bigger. He looks, her upper upper body looks bigger. I saw one of his workouts and he's just there doing pull-ups, 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 yeah. pull-ups, pull-ups. And yeah. the guy's got strength. Yeah. He's getting strong. 
Anyway, so uh, anyway. <laughs> something else has been in the news lately. Uh, there have been some proposed rule changes with Major League Baseball. And, dun, dun, dun. and these would, I'm sure they would filter down into minor league pretty much immediately because you got to practice like you play. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the ones that caught my eye, they're talking about moving the mound. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I have my own opinion of it. So they're talking about either moving the mound back or lowering the mound like they did after the year of the pitcher and the you know when Bob Gibson posted a that was Bob Gibson posted a, a under one ERA or like a one ERA just insane yeah but it, it wasn't just him though it was across the league it yeah. had become apparent that pitchers were dominant over the hitters in general and they lowered the mound right they, they lowered, lowered the it. mound I yeah. don't know how far do you know how far they lowered it I want to say it was four inches but I that's just off the top of my head yeah. Um, but now they're talking about either doing that or pushing the mound back. But <sighs> I, I don't like either of those, but I've seen something else that I am a fan of. Okay, so from 1988 to 1996, the bottom of the strike zone was defined as the top of the knee. Right. In 1996, they changed that, and the bottom of the strike zone, bottom of the strike zone is now the hollow at the bottom of the knee. So that's a difference of about three or four inches. But so now there's a lot of strikeouts. We got a lot of ground balls, so we got the shift on all the time because right. guys are grounding out to the weak side of the infield. So if you raise the bottom of the strike zone back up, now you're going to see a tighter strike zone, less strikeouts. Pitchers have to be more accurate. And they're going to send it right down the middle. Yeah, and the ground balls are going to decrease too. Yeah. So you get more walks. You get more balls in play. You get less strikeouts. You get more offense. That's really what they're trying to drive. This whole pace of play thing, that's not the problem with baseball. The problem is a lack of action. Yeah, well – in so, and here's the thing about the pace of play. If they don't like the shift, don't doesn't the shift get outs? Yeah. Doesn't that quicken the game up? Yes. And they're oh, talking yeah. about taking away the shift. Okay. Hold I, on. If, if the shift is designed to create outs and you want the game to get over faster, but yet you want more offense, so you don't want the shift, or do you want the shift because it, it quickens the game? Yeah. Now, I don't know the number numbers for how well, how effective it is. I think that we're not that great at it, or at least we didn't, we weren't so good this last year. Yeah, the numbers that I'm seeing show that it's, it's, it's not, it is moderately effective, right. but it's not put, it hasn't put a huge dent in like batting average on balls in play right. or in on base percentage across the league. And a major league hitter should be able to hit it to the other side of the field. Yeah, you say that, but then. The, the player that they're shifting, their money is from lifting the ball up in the air and hitting it over everybody. Yeah, I know. And I, someone on MLB mentioned that, like, if that's all he did was hit the ball that way, is that what got him there? You want him to change that? Uh-huh. That's not going to happen. There are a few guys. I've, I've seen Anthony Rizzo bunt up the third baseline. Yeah. I saw um, Robinson Cano do that for a double because there was nobody there. So you just <laughs> pop, a, pop a bunt that runs past third base, and you can run for days until somebody gets it. Um, but anyway, that's, yeah. that's my opinion of it. <laughs> and then one of the other rules that, that they're talking about is this controlling how many batters, uh, making a minimum number of batters that a relief pitcher has to face. I kind of like that. Yeah. I kind of, because yeah, it's like, all right, uh, one guy pitched to one guy. There we go. There's another seven minutes of warming up. And there's a lot of that. I mean, uh -huh. Gabe Kepler got totally ripped. For using like 11 pitchers in one game. Yeah. And that's just insane. Well, we saw position players pitching a ton last year. Well, we because they were running players. out of bullpen. Right. Because right. they're using the bullpen so much. Right. Or they're getting smoked and they're losing like by 15 runs. So, yeah, just throw out. Well, that happens anyway. Yeah. 
you know, somebody's got to go out there and take the punishment. So but, you put Spangenberg or, Oswald, or uh, uh, Amarista out there. Who's going to be our position pitcher? Hold on. Who's going to be our position pitcher next year on the Major League roster? Oh, man. Do, do, do. I, you know, I Tweet feel us like at Friars on the Farm. Esteban Carroz is not on the, the roster right now, but for some reason, I feel like he's kind of a jack of all trades. <laughs> so you can put him up there. Um, you don't usually see an outfielder step up on the mound. It's always no. an infielder because you got to have somebody who's used to throwing it, you know, less than 200 feet. Um, Dude, can so, we get Framil Reyes on the mound, though? Oh, just, my that God. That would be so I'm cool. Pardon my language. Dude, that would just, just throw the ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, to get back to the, to the rule, you don't like it. Well, I, at first, I liked the idea. Um, and I saw that uh, Robert Stock actually replied to somebody and pointed out that they should make it so that he has to face a minimum of three batters or end the inning, yeah. which makes sense. Once the inning's over, you switch the pitcher. That doesn't add any time to it. And you don't want to go in, face one guy, and then go get cold sitting on the bench and have to warm up again. Right. Um, but then AJ Casavell in the Kept Faith podcast, they just posted what yesterday or today. He, po- he brought up the point that every once in a while you see a pitcher go out and it's clear from the get-go that he just doesn't have it. Right. And they struggle with the first guy. Maybe they hit the first batter. Maybe they walk him. Maybe they give up a, a very sharply hit ball. And it's clear that this guy's just not effective. And he's got to – they got to pull him. But now you're you're tied to that guy. Yeah. So what's he going to do? you got to let him dangle out there, face three guys, and then – move on true and you're trying to and your the ultimate goal is to win baseball games i'm not i i, I don't like the game was created almost perfect yeah Al- almost perfect in the universal dh the dh everyone loves the dh here in san diego because of all these extra bats that we have uh-huh. on the roster well those bats aren't going to be here forever and that might be a, a temporary fix for a a you know a long-term solution uh-huh I'm not a fan. I'm a little old school. I kind of like having to have a double switch. I kind of have to have the manager freaking think it's not American League baseball where it's like you get two guys on, oh, three run shot. Mm-hmm. Get two guys on, oh, three run shot. You know? Yeah. And I'm not a fan. Well, there. So with interleague baseball, I, I'm. I've always been the same way. I don't like the DH. Yeah. I like the the player, the pitcher hitting. I feel like they should work on their hitting more, even though it's easy for me to say being an armchair quarterback, whatever. But with interleague play, the teams have to build their rosters in preparation for who they're going to play. Right. So now if you're going to go play a two game series against Oakland, and then you're going to go play San Francisco, how do you set your roster for that crew? That's going to do that. You don't, you can't like bring up somebody from, you can't bring Josh Naylor up for two days and then right. send him back down. Right, right. And then because as a national league team, you're going to carry another utility infielder or you're going to carry an extra reliever where the, with the DH, you've got that guy on your roster. That's the, the slugger that isn't all that good at a position. Now, right now, like you said, you've got Fran Mill Reyes, you've got uh, Mejia, um, in the minors, you've got Austin Allen that can rake and, but he's kind of blocked. You've got right. Josh Naylor and we have players that kind of fit that mold. So it would benefit us in the short term, but I, the, the strategy side of managing interleague, I, I don't like now the solution for that. I've always thought has been try to schedule the interleague play in blocks. So you're going to play a ser- a, a sequence of series against AL teams. Okay. 
So then you know that for these three weeks, I can set my roster a certain way and we're going to option players or whatever and then set it back. Right. Oh, look, Roy stubbed his toe. He'll be gone for two weeks. We're bringing up someone that can hit the ball. That's right. That ball. Because we all know that I cannot hit. <laughs> um, interesting. I, 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 you know, I, I, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I don't think... They're talking about having these things happen next year. The, the, or at least to the get it talking for the collective bargaining agreement in what, 2022? But they're talking about instituting it for 2019. Oh, that's it, 19. What, what the hell am I thinking? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the collective bargaining agreement could change it all. And that's always what I thought would happen would if happen eventually. Yeah. But I mean, they might turn around and say tomorrow that, oh, yeah, the DH is in. Or the, the um, I'm sorry, the designated, yeah, designated hmm. hitter. Did you see that they changed the name, the term for the uh, the list that players go on when they're physically unable to play baseball? Is that what they call it? The physically unable to play baseball? No, it's it's the injured list. Injured list or the injury list or something like that. It's just like football. I don't I, the, the, the injured reserve. They call it the injured reserve in football. I love yeah. the disabled list. Well, I uh, it's it, it's very derogatory. People get offended very easily. And disabled people associate the phrase disabled with something beyond, right. oh, he's got a calf strain and he's got to go rest for a week. Yeah, so it, it's injured. It's not disabled. It, it's going to be a non-issue. Yeah. But it's a, it's a semantics thing to avoid offending people. Yeah. And then the pitch clock. They're, they, they're talking about adding a pitch clock, a 20-second pitch clock. Yeah, I'm not... Not a fan. To me, that's just forcing the umpires to enforce rules that have been in place for decades that have never been enforced. Whatever happened to the don't get out of the batter's box rule? Yeah, they enforced that for one season. <laughs> and then the, the length of games went down like 10 minutes across baseball. <laughs> and then they quit enforcing it and games went right back up. Do, whatever, like say in my, in, in my league play, guy throws a pitch, I step out of the batter's box. Yeah? Not for long, but it's like, okay. All right, step back in. Uh huh. And that's okay with me. Well, but there's a re- there's a reasonable amount of time. If yeah. you're Nomar Garcia Parra and you got to step back and adjust your gloves keep fifteen up, keep times up, keep and right. tap your toes and all this, it, it 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 makes it long. And but then the pitchers are doing it too. The pitchers are holding the ball. They're taking their time. Walking and around. research has shown that the guys that take more time between their pitches actually tend to throw harder. So there is an actual reason behind it. And injury. Maybe, maybe there's le- less injury less risk. Injury. I don't know, um, but there have been rules in the rule book since like the twenties about how fast the pitcher is supposed to deliver the ball <laughs> and the penalties for it. If you're not in the box ready to hit, then you get a strike. If you're the pitcher and you're not delivering the ball fast enough, you get an automatic ball called called on you. Did you watch MLB Network right when it first started? You mean years ago? Years ago. Actually, yeah. This is what the tenth year anniversary. Okay. Um. They used to have these games back in the you know the, in the '60s. Uh, they would play these to kill up time. They would show these old games in the '60s. Oh, okay. And it's like, ball's pitched. Ball goes back to the pitcher. Ball gets pitched again. I mean, it, guys that step out of the batter's box at bats were like three minutes, like like two minutes. They were just in no time. They were getting getting over with. I noticed that now it's like I just like we just said the guy steps out of the batter's box or the pitcher rolls and walks around the mound. Um, it was much quicker pace of play. You know, and they say that Bob Gibson would uh, would throw inside and knock guys down if they weren't getting ready. You know, yeah. if they're like digging in, if they're yeah. taking their time. Come on, we got a game to play. Yeah. I know that there was a game between um, Jim Cott and Randy Jones 
that was like a, an hour, 45 minutes, or even faster than that. To me, in okay, so I saw a game with Roger Clemens and Jake Peavy, and that was just about just under two hours. It was just insane. The fastest game ever played was 51 minutes. That was in 1919. Uh, now I, I got to find this. I got to find this. Jim Cott and uh, a nine-inning game. Here we go. San Diego Union Tribune. 89 minutes. Is that what it is? An yeah. hour, an hour, 29 minutes. A nine-inning game in an hour, 29 minutes. Damn, dude. Because they got a plan. They know what they're going to do. Yeah. Pitcher and the catcher are working to get the ball. I'm ready. And I would think that as the pitcher, if I'm getting the ball back to the plate as quick as I can, I'm not giving the, the batter time to think about it. I'm not right. giving them time to, you know, reset their mind or whatever. And, and they get, get comfortable. Yeah. Guys step out of the batter's box all the time. Oh, timeout. To break up the rhythm of the pitcher. You know, who was the, there was somebody in Fort Wayne last year that Osvaldo Hernandez all of a sudden started pitching really fast. And he, you're right. And, and that was what kind of turned it for him was that he found this rhythm. And by turning the ball around real quick, all of a sudden he became more successful. I, I don't know what to attribute that to, but uh, anyway, the point is Bert don't stand there and hold the ball. <laughs> don't take forever to get, get in the box and get ready. Step up on the mound yeah. and get ready and let's play ball. Yeah. And I don't really care, I, 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 but I have to work in the morning now. So now it's like, okay, I need the game over by like 930. Well, yeah. I mean, you go to a seven o'clock game and you're getting out of the game at 11 o'clock, 1130. And kids got to go to school. People got to mm-hmm. go to work. My my sister has two children, and now they and they have season tickets, but they they sell a lot of their tickets. They don't go to weekday evening games um, for just that reason. Yeah. So we uh, that's about all we got for this, right? Well, coming up here, we have steamer projections. Did you want to talk about steamer we projections? Talk, yes, we can talk steamer projections. All right. So explain to me what you got there. So uh, let's get to the beginning of this. This was on MILB.com? Yeah, Sim Dijkstra came up with um, with team of projections for a hell of a lot of Padres. Everyone from Esteban Curos to uh, Eric Hosmer. Okay, so what he did here, he and, made the assumption. So this is based on if a player has 600 plate appearances. Yeah. For a catcher, it's 250 plate appearances. Um, and then for the pitchers, it was, what, 200 innings pitched for starting pitchers? Yeah, I mean, it's a full season, pretty yeah. much. So they have um, Francisco coming here at 450 uh, plate appearances, you know they got Chris Paddock at at, at two hundred innings. Two hundred innings. There's no way. There, yeah, it's absolutely insane. Uh, you know Logan Allen at two hundred uh, two hundred innings. Oh, they've pitched. got the relievers at sixty five innings pitched. Yeah, and that's a full season of a starting ball, but it, it's still pretty interesting stuff. Uh huh. With uh, you know, with Chris Paddock here, two innings, two hundred innings pitched, three point five two ERA with the three point four eight FIP, one point one six WHIP. Giving up 23 home runs in 200 innings, that kind of seems a lot for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have a 2.3 base on balls to nine with a for a 3.9 WAR. He has the highest WAR of all the pitchers here in in this projection, and that's got Mackenzie Gore. You know, that's got Jacob Nix and Cal Quantrill. So it, he's good. Yeah, and he really might, good. as far as it's as far as it appears, he's ready. Yeah. Uh, but the the 200 innings pitch, he pitched what 90 innings last year. Yeah, he. If he sees 120, maybe they'll push him to 130. Yeah, that, that's about as big as it gets. Now, Logan Allen is the next name on that list. 200 innings is, I think that's within reason for him. Right. That's a lot of work for him, but yeah. he might be able to get there. Um, I, it's an interesting premise. 
I, I think it's, I, I, I don't know how you can take somebody's performance and then just project it out. Like, Oh, well, if they played a full season, I, it's it, yeah. What, what, what really kind of pissed me off was they have Fernando Tatis Jr. here with 600 plate appearances, hitting 17 home runs, uh, 233, 293, and a 387 slash for a 1.6 WAR. Yeah, I, I almost I almost punched my computer when I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> I so his that. his weighted runs created plus is 86, which means he would be 14 percent worse than league average Ugh. on offense. You know, Luis, so that tells me that that WAR is coming from defense. Yeah, and then Luis Urias, 600 plate appearances, 238, 327, and 356. Come on. Well, and they've got him. Okay, there's a column there that's fielding, and they've got negative 1.8. I refuse to believe that he's going to be worse than average defender. He's going to be better than I think he's going to be better than average defender. I mean, he already made some electric plays at second base last year. Yeah, absolutely. So unless they stick him a shortstop all year, I mean, I think a shortstop he'll be adequate, he'll be okay. But at second base, I mean, it won't be long until he's right up there. You know, I think he's going to be a Gold Glove caliber second baseman. I believe so too. So they talk about Austin Allen that he's a dark horse in the in the catching competition, and that's the the bat carries him. Yeah. The question has always been if he can if he can defend and there are still people that don't believe that. Right. Well, he's a big boy. He's six, five, six, he's, he's a big boy. He is, but he, and we've said it here. He is every box. They said, check this box. He's checked every box, mm-hmm. but people that do this for a living, you know, the evaluators, the scouts, the, you know, the, the people that know, yeah. see that he won't stick. Well, I've seen videos of him again. Thank you. Instagram. You see videos of him working out and he's lean. He's looking yeah. really good, and it seems like every year he gets lighter and leaner. So he's working on flexibility, range, reactions. Yeah, so this is super interesting. If you want to check it out, it is Sam Dykstra on MILB, uh, 2019 Prospects Projections to NL West Rookies. Hey, off the top of my head, did you see uh, Amarillo's stadium is coming along? It is coming along very nicely. They've got their video board installed. They've Huge. got one of the biggest video boards in all the minor leagues. Yeah, that's sweet. And uh, they've they started installing their seats, and you see that the yeah, section, the, the heart and the U, yeah, like I love you. <laughs> they they put the seats in, started with that pattern, and filled out the rest of them. Well, I love the soft pools. That's going to be such a great ballpark. God, it is. And they what do they 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 had a name for it? Um, something Town, Hodge 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 Town, Hodge Town. Yeah, because apparently there's a philanthropist businessman there, the last name of Hodge, that was instrumental in in getting the, getting ballpark, the ballpark built. built. Um, and then the town, you call the community where a bunch of, of um, prairie dogs live. They live in a town. Really? Yeah. I thought you were going to say they live in a... <laughs> well, they live in a cave system, right. but they call that a town. A town. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then you see the trucks go out there with the big vacuum cleaners, and then they stick the hoses down, and they're sucking the sod poodles up out of the ground. Oh, my God. That's... I don't know why my mind went there. Dude, that is so... But that's what they do. They've got... <laughs> Interesting. Uh... Okay, well, that's you know that's a steamer. I I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Projections are interesting to me, but it's it it's how can you predict really what's going to happen in a yeah. season? Yeah. I mean, nobody expected Eric Hosmer to have as bad of a season as right. he did last year. They right. thought he was going to be at least decent, um, but then you don't expect people to pop up and excel. That that's why you play. That's why they play the game. Yeah, absolutely, and that's going to be great next year. We'll see who does kind of take two steps forward and who takes two steps back and who moves up and just, I thought you were singing some Paula Abdul for us there for a second. 
Two steps forward, three steps back. Okay, that's enough for uh, uh, podcast karaoke. Uh, podcast karaoke. Well, so we've got an interview with Ty France. Yes, we do. We spoke to Ty France the other day. He was gracious enough to come on the show with us. Yes. So we would like to uh, to play that for you now. All right. Bring on Ty France. Ty France drafted in the 34th round has defied his late round selection and has moved steadily through the system. A pupil of Tony Gwynn while at San Diego State, Ty held a respectable 18% K rate while in the minors and has added power to his toolbox in 2018, hitting three, 30 doubles and 22 home runs in AA and AAA, earning a spot on the Padres' 40-man roster. Drafted as a third baseman, France has spent time at first base, left field, and has even caught bullpens to carve a path to the big leagues. Ty, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Dude, you, so you, you caught bullpens? Yeah, actually, uh, we did a little experimenting at the end of last season with uh, some catching stuff. Just some drills, some bullpen. Um, nothing really came from it. They, I, I went to Instructs for a few days, um, you know, gotten some games, but uh, I, I think right now they're just having me, you know, focus on third. So they were really taking a look at you, seeing if if there was anything worth yeah. pursuing. Yeah, you know, for about the last month and a half um, of the season, I was, you know, drills a couple times a week, catching bullpens. Um, and then, yeah, I went to Instructs for, I think it was five days, played in, I think it was like three days of drills and then caught in two games, had some fun with it, and then uh, haven't heard much about it since. So, Did you like it? Yeah, I was going to say, did you like oh, it? Oh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, um, you know, getting to throw the gear on. I caught a little bit in high school, so getting to do that again was, uh, you know, bring back a little bit of the glory days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you also logged some innings uh, pitching uh, in Fort Wayne and San Antonio? Yeah, um, I was a little bummed last year I didn't get to you know pitch at all, but the year before, um, I was actually 1-0, the 0 ERA, that's my claim to fame in uh, AA, um, and then I think I have like four, three or four innings in Fort Wayne, but um, yeah, that was a lot of fun too. Dude, that's, that's awesome. Hey, so first off, this was your first fan fest, uh, how was that? It was really cool. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, growing up, I was an Angel fan, and I went to I think one or two of those, but I was really young, so I don't I don't really remember too much of it. So actually, getting to you know hang out with the fans and be you know part of that was a cool experience. What What did they have you do? We saw you at the social summit, but yeah. what all did you uh, were you involved with? I did the social summit, and then uh, just I think it was like a half hour of like signing autographs. Nice. I think that that was really it. Just I. Even after uh, I was done with my autograph session, I kind of just walked around the stadium, just um, ran into the storm booth, um, hung out there for a little bit, and you know, just got to take it all in. It was a lot of fun. Were you surprised by how many people – were you expecting people to know who you were? Um, the one that kind of caught me off guard was I didn't have a jersey on, and some guy came running up to me and asked me for an autograph, and I was like, well – you know, I didn't, I didn't think I stood out like that, but uh, yeah, it, it was definitely different, you know, especially not being a top prospect where I'm signing autographs all the time to, you know, Dude, fan fest, people knowing who I was, it was pretty cool. So as, a, so as Angel fans, um, uh, Billy Epler, his, uh, his sister is a, is a friend of mine and actually his sister's husband's a really good friend of mine. And I, I knew those, I knew them really well back when he was with the Rockies 
And then I, uh, he actually, when he was with the Yankees, I went out to New York and uh, he got me comp tickets for a Yankees game. And uh, now that he's like up the road, and he even, you know, he applied and talked to the Padres for becoming a GM, but ended up getting a job up in uh, Los Angeles. But like now that he's in the Angel system, I want to call my buddy Mike, like, hey, Mike, Susie, what are you guys doing? Hey, what's Billy up to? Um, can you get me to talk to any of these guys on my podcast? Anyways, yeah, so that's my that's my claim to fame with Billy Epler. So nice. I, I hope with something that you picked up while you were here at FanFest is that we've got a lot of really good fans in San Diego um, that aren't just paying attention to what's going on in the big league team. And so the fact that somebody recognized you in plain clothes, means mm-hmm. people really are paying attention. And, you know, so even though, yeah, not a quote-unquote – top prospect still the fact that you got added to the 40 man roster and now you're going to have a chance to see major league time. That's, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. You know, just going into camp healthy, hoping to have a good camp. And at some point this year, hopefully uh, get up there with the big fellas. Nice. So we'll start with, uh, you picked a college. You were recruited by state. Yeah. Yeah. I only, I, I committed, uh, I want to say it was like Christmas sophomore year. So I only played my freshman year. And I only had two offers, and it was between University of San Diego and San Diego State. And um, you know, get get a chance to play for Coach Gwynn, I, I couldn't turn that down. So, do you have any uh, any memories, any stories from from Tony? Did you learn anything in particular from him? Yeah. I mean, that guy has a story for everything. Um, some good, some bad. You know, for him being around the game as long as he was, um, just getting to pick his brain, and you know just become smarter, not only like on the field, but off the field as well. Um, but the main thing, you know, that I took from him was um, one is just do things right on and off the field, you know, um, that'll not only help you, you know, as a baseball player, but just in life in general. Um, and, you know, just have fun, have yeah. fun with what you're doing. Um, it's a game. We get to play a game for a living. So enjoy it because one day you won't be able to do it. That's that's neat. You know, I, I read somewhere that, that Tony had some sayings that uh, maybe a couple of that weren't so uh, so pretty. Do you have any like really, any really bad things that he would say? I don't know. Am I allowed to say them on? No one on, listens. Well, Sam Guinea listens to us, but not. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, yeah, all, you guys know off the air, but um, okay, yeah, they weren't. They're not like you know terrible, but they're probably not good for a podcast. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. Well, it's so, Maybe a Barstool podcast, but not this one. Yeah, oh, no, we're, okay. we're respectable. It's a family organization here. So did you ever have a chance to meet Alicia, Tony's wife? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I got to meet a lot of the Gwynn family. Um, I'm still pretty close with Anthony. Um, Mrs. Gwynn, one of the best cooks I've ever, you know, got a chance to eat for. Um, the two years I had Coach Gwynn, he had us over to his house, and she us a piece, and it was incredible. So um, shout out to Miss Gwynn. So I don't know if you know that she is an ordained uh, pastor and she officiated our wedding yeah. in December. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I so that's, that's our little claim to fame. Yeah. That's and, pretty good. And we got, we got engaged at the Tony Gwynn statue. Oh, nice. Yeah. The whole, the whole Gwynn family is just incredible. Okay. So I've been dying to ask this. So do you like getting hit by baseballs? Is that what's going on with you? What? Yeah. You got asked that question at fan fest, but you seem to be a baseball yeah. magnet. Um, it just happens. I don't know. It doesn't, it hurts for a second and goes away. Um, it, it, at the end it like, it really helps. People don't really notice how much, like I don't walk that much, but you know, my on base percentage is a little higher because it's so much. So, um, you know, it, 
it really helps out the averages all around. There, um, there was one point where you your hit by a pitch, strikeouts, and walks were all really close to each other. So I was tracking that, trying to see what you were going to lead in. It's always happened. I don't know. Even in college, I hold the record at San Diego State for most hit by pitches in a career, and I, I want to say it's over forty, but I, I don't really remember. Um, but yeah, and in college they put in a new rule. I think it was my junior year where if you didn't like move at all, um, they call you back. So it didn't count as a hit by pitch. So I think I could have had at least ten more added. Uh, but, they call it the Ty France rule yeah. now. You know, I'd, I'd like to see them call that in the big leagues more. And there have been a couple of times I've seen an umpire wave a, a batter back into the box. Like, no, you, you have to make an effort to avoid the pitch. Chase Utley does uh, that, throws the elbow out. Yeah. Now it's a strike um, if you don't get out of the way. I think well, they call it a strike now. For the record, I was the one at FanFest that actually asked you about getting hit by pitches in your strikeouts. I didn't. What did you ask him? I don't. I, I don't remember. Yeah, that's not him. how I said it. But I'm pretty sure I was the only one besides him that made a comment about that. <laughs> it's all my fault. Opened up the social summit with that, and I was like, "Oh, I was." I mean, I was expecting that first. But... Well, the guys seemed to like that we asked about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Who have you been working with as you've come through? Are there any coaches, any players that you've uh, particularly learned anything from? Um, you know, I got to play for a couple of a uh, handful of coaches that I've really, you know, meshed with. Um, I think Lance Burkhart is one nice. of the hitting coaches that I've, uh, you know, just kind of clicked with. He understands my swing. That's in El Paso. He had me in Elsinore. San Antonio and El Paso. So I've, I've got to play with him for three, I think it was three years. Um, actually, he's had me my whole career. He had me in Fort Wayne, too, before he got the job. Um, and then last year, working with uh, Jonathan Meyer and on the infield aspect, um, he really helped me out a lot. Um, you know, cause I, I've always been able to hit, but defense has been, you know, a little bit of a struggle. And um, I felt like last year I was able to play my best year at third base with uh, his help. So so they asked you to focus on third base primarily starting last year? or Because you've moved um, around quite a bit. Yeah. I think uh, they, they didn't really tell me, you know, just only focus on third. But, um, yeah, I've played just majority third the last couple of years. So, um, and I played third base in college. That's all I played. So third base is just kind of been my natural position um the first two years of my career I played a little more first base and um actually I was drafted and I played three years at third at San Diego State and then was drafted and played all of short season at first base so I was you know had to learn that position because I hadn't done it in so long um but it's nice you know having all those extra positions in your back pocket if you need them yeah the team might need an emergency catcher someday yeah, yeah, I think that's part of the reason why they were experimenting me with uh, the catching card, just to see if I can go back there and, you know, hold my own, not embarrass myself, and I need to be a bat off the bench or something like that. Um, you know, it just adds value to the player. Nice. So you've moved up every year, uh, and you've had to make adjustments. Like some, So the big jump, I, I've been told, you know, we know that it's from, from high A to double A, and then mm-hmm. the jump from double A, even in triple A, is just their huge steps. Uh, what are the adjustments that you've had to make, you know, coming from high A to double A, and then you really took off once you hit triple A? Yeah, double A was, uh, 
it was my first year there. I got I got there and um you know was hot. I I got I think I was hitting three seventy at one point, um, and that was after I want to say like my first hundred hundred and twenty at bats, and then just went ice cold, and um, ended up finishing at like two seventy or something like that, and then going back the next year. Um, I kind of had an idea now of uh, how it was going to be. And the year before kind of taught me, you know, you're going to struggle sometimes. And it's just how quickly you can get out of it. And um, it taught me to be, you know, a little mentally mentally tougher. And um, I think just the, the biggest adjustment from high A to double A was everyone in double A just threw hard. They threw strikes. They you know, put it where they want. Um, and then the umpire zone might have been a little bigger, and then going from double A to triple A, uh, it was a lot more of like veteran guys who could throw, you know, what they want, when they want, where they want. Uh, it was a little smaller, uh, and so it was just more like polished guys who could do what they want when they wanted to. Well, and that's that's interesting that you brought that up where. The strike zone, as you go up levels, the strike zone changes. It tries, you know, from Tri Cities, I'm sure, are you probably played with Eugene, yeah? No, I played for Tri Cities. Tri Cities, yeah. It was like the strike zone must have been like atrocious. And yeah. Then, did you see the difference going from college ball to pro ball? The side, the the strike zone. Um, from college ball to like low A, there's I didn't see too much of a difference, but as you know, the higher you go, the the better it gets. That's interesting. Hmm. So, who have you roomed with throughout your uh, your travels? Oh man, um, my first roommate. You want me to go through the whole list? Well, you don't have to. You know, I mean, just if there's anybody that stands out to you. Um, my first roommate was Mason Smith in Tri Cities. Um, I think he was. Yeah, he was my first one, and then uh, Peter Van Gansen was my second. PV, yeah, PVG. Wayne, um, Elsinore. Did you have a host family in Elsinore? Elsinore, I did. Yeah, I did have a host family. Um, and I lived with my first year was Phil Maton, and then he got called up, and uh, then uh, Pete moved back in with me. Um, and then last year we had there was like five of us in an apartment. Um, it was me, Pete, Kyle Overstreet, Naylor, and, uh, Rod Boykin was in there for a little bit. So when you got five guys living in an apartment, how do you guys like split up the chores? Who decides who's, who cleans the bathroom? Who, who does the dishes? You're, you're responsible for your own stuff. Um, I had my own room, thankfully. So I had my own bathroom and shower, so I didn't have to deal with all that, but. How'd you get uh, that? How'd you pull that? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, Snore or what? Do you, do you fart when you sleep or what the hell? I, I had to pay a little bit more, but it was uh, worth it. All right. Well, and that, that's funny. You, you you're like, who ate all my you know who ate all my cookies? Or like you're putting check marks on the on the milk? Like that's drinking my freaking milk. <laughs> um, that's interesting. And that brings me to another question. So you know, eating well, you know, the, being a minor leaguer, getting paid where you guys are getting paid. You know, how are you guys nourishing yourselves as developing pro athletes? Um, mm-hmm. how is it that you guys get enough food to really, I mean, to keep the, the stamina of a, you know, the grind of a minor league season? Yeah, it's tough. Um, 
I think what helps out most is that they feed us, I want to say it's two meals a day, at least two meals, if not more. They have snacks and drinks and stuff for us at the field. Um, but the hardest part is like you get done so late. And for me, like I, I easily gain weight. So okay. eating you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock every night, um, not always the best food doesn't, doesn't help. Right. Um, so last year it was more of, you know, for me, it was trying to control and like manage what I eat, um, and the times that I eat at, cause it's really easy to, you know, go on a six hour bus ride and get stop at a gas station, get chips, gummy worms, ice cream, Gatorade, like really <laughs> fall into that trap. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the hard part as a minor leaguer is just trying to manage what you eat and, you know, control your diet. You know, so do you focus a lot about, uh, you know, in the off season, do you focus a lot on nutrition, on working out? Like this is your third year in the minors, fourth year in the minors now. you got a pretty good routine down so as you go up higher levels, do you get better nutrition or, you know, are your off seasons getting a little bit better? Cause you have a plan, you have an idea of what you're doing. Yeah. I think off seasons just get a little easier because, um, you know, instead of ending the season, you know, 20 pounds overweight, you're only five to 10 overweight. Right. So it, it's not, Oh crap. I have to kill myself and go on the treadmill all day long. Um, you know, you could actually enjoy your off season and, work on, you know, the strength portion and, um, the leaning out part. And, you know, it, it just make the in season control makes the off season easier. Yeah. yeah. Have you been able to, um, to just focus on training in the off seasons or have you actually like gotten it? I've heard some of these guys get a job in the off season. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I get my training out of the way early. So that way I am able to not give, hitting lessons and fielding lessons and stuff like that. Um, I help my best friend's dad runs a travel ball team. So I help out with them. Um, so, you know, it's, I wouldn't call them like jobs, but right. like there's ways for us to make money. Uh, the place that I work out out, um, they ran like a hitting program for me so I could get a lifting program in for kids. So, you know, there's just little things you can do to make some money. Was that at the, uh, the TNT factory? I mean, right in the offseason came in, and you were like, come get ripped at the TNT factory. How many bombs do you hit? Yeah, that's a uh, top-notch training in San Dimas over here. They, they've, they've taken care of me the last four four off-seasons. So, um, Are you up in L.A.? Uh, yeah, L.A. County. Okay. So you're I'm up by uh, Angel Stadium almost. Like I was there today. Yeah, she was by there today. I went to Disneyland. You go to the, okay. Yeah, it's like... 15 minutes from me, 20 minutes from me. Yeah, I saw the A when we were driving home. Yeah. Nice. It's funny because like, one of the other players we're talking to, he's like, I, you know, I work for UPS in the offseason, and I just got a promotion. <laughs> like, you know, he's you know just coming up the system and, you know, in the offseason, having to make money, you know, having to have a job, and then mix in trying to be a professional athlete and getting your work in and, and kind of doing stuff like that. Interesting. Uh, one, of my, one of my teammates in Fort Wayne, Cody Tidwell, um, he actually, his off season job, he got a promotion as well and ended up making really good money and decided, you know, this, there's a future with this. So he, he retired because of his off season job. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. You're not allowed to do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any off season jobs that, that are, that's fine. Keep doing what oh. you're doing. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it looks like you got to have a little bit of fun this off season. Uh, it looks like I, I'm looking at your Instagram right now. It looks like you got to go to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, we went to Maui. It was it was a lot of fun. It was the first time I went to Kona. Um, this was my second time going in Kona. That's on I, the Big I, Island, right? Yeah. When I thought Hawaii the first time, I was like, okay, it's going to be tropical. There's going to be waterfalls, you know, a bunch of cool stuff like that. And I got to Kona and it was all lava rock. So I was very not highly disappointed but i was pretty pretty sad i couldn't go on any hikes and stuff like that um but this time we got we went to maui stayed at a uh, family friend's house and um you know just got the experience the whole hawaii experience so it was a lot of fun and we we got to go to maui last september and that was amazing i had everything you want to do in hawaii is on maui yeah yeah literally. that's when we got married the first time <laughs> hey so i turned 50 this year and, and my wife's asking me to go to hawaii did you go shark diving like can, you can go shark diving right we went we went snorkeling but okay. uh, i there wasn't we didn't really see any we didn't see any sharks no but we they will do that good yeah. that's what i want to do they'll take you out there and they'll chum the water and they will let yeah, sharks swim all around you that's what i'm into Okay. Yeah. Hey, so we're getting kind of off the topic here, but so in the off season here, are, what are you working on? Do you have a, do they, you know, you're an established minor leaguer. Do you have a plan? Do they give you a plan? Are you using any technology to, uh, to strengthen your swing or anything like that? Um, I wouldn't really call it technology really. Um, it, I went into, uh, I went to Petco a few times this off season and got to work with Jay wash and, um, we watched some video together and, uh, he kind of pointed out a couple things for me to work on. And so uh, luckily it was earlier in the off season. So this whole, whole off season, I've just been, you know, working on what he's been telling me. Nice. All right. Well, so, so what going into spring training here, you're going to, uh, you're going to compete for a job. That's what they've told you. Yeah. Um, I talked to uh, AJ and he, you know, told me there's a couple of us going in if we don't sign anybody um there's a couple of us going in fighting for the job so hoping for a good spring nice well and that's a good question that, that's a good question with you working on different positions you know if you do make the 25 man team uh is it starting third baseman or even as a backup utility guy i mean you'll take it absolutely yeah 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 any way to get on on the big club i don't i don't care how it's just you know hoping to get up there Nice. Pay off some credit card debt. Maybe I don't. I don't know what you got. <laughs> well, Can't so, that. I a couple years ago I followed Cody Decker, anti-baseball hero, and like you know he got us a cup of coffee at the end of spring uh, September call-ups. He's like, I just paid back my debt and paid off credit card debt, and that's about all. That's about all I did. Mm-hmm. Well, hey Tom, we uh, Ty, we really appreciate you coming on uh, so late, you know, after the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday, and talking to us and. Uh, is there anything you want to add? Is there anything you, like we asked you before we came on, is there anything you wanted to uh, to push or say? No, I uh, just appreciate you guys having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Looking forward to the, the upcoming season and see how it goes. All right, well, we'll see you at spring training. Don't big time us, all right? Yeah, we'll nah. be there. We'll be there the 14th through the 17th. Yeah. <laughs> say hi. And congratulations. Uh, I can't wait to see you playing Peoria. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That was cool. Yeah, it's nice <laughs> spending some time with Ty France. <laughs> it is. It's nice to spend some time with a guy on the forty man. 
Yeah. I know we're a minor league podcast, and I, you know, we focus on that, and I love that's what I that's what we do here. Yeah, but, but we're a little closer to a promotion to the big leagues, right? Yeah. It's so our first, right, it's our first, he's like he's the prospect that grew up. I don't know. <laughs> we talked about we talked a lot about France last uh, last season, this whole season actually. We did, yeah, and he had a really good year. Yeah, and so we were keeping an eye on him. I I had a sense that he would have an opportunity one way or another. Yeah. And he's he's a good all-around player. He can play multiple positions. The guy can hit. He's hit at every level. Yeah. Um, and so you know that there's going to be an opportunity for him. Um, so whether he's on the opening day roster or if he comes up when somebody gets injured, I'm sure that he'll make his debut this year. I hope it's not like Cody Decker where we just waited all year and then finally at the very uh, end September he got his first hit coffee. and then he was done. It, I, I hope he gets more <laughs> than that. <laughs> And Cody Decker, I can't remember. Did I just say it to Ty? He's like, Cody Decker came up and he paid back his dad and paid off credit card debt with yeah. the two weeks that he had on the roster. Yeah. I, I, a long time ago, uh, kind of gave him a comp of Ty Wigginton. Like, okay, yeah. Well, I'm not sure if he's going to be that, that. I mean, Ty, I thought it was Ty Wigginton for like a handful of years was like a dangerous player. Mm-hmm. And played solid third base. They're kind of the same build. Yeah. Uh, hit really well. Um, I kind of, that's my ceiling for for Ty. Okay. It's to be a Wigginton kind of guy. Yeah. You know, maybe have put it together for a couple of really good years and, uh, you know, be valuable for a team. Um, I hope he doesn't, like you said, I hope he doesn't come up and, you know, oh, he's one of those up and down guys. You know, shuttle, what do they call them, the shuttle guys that yeah. come up and down and just never really stick. I hope he comes up and puts a good stress together mm-hmm. and, you know, he could be a part of our team. He could be a part of our future. Um, possibly, you know, um, if not stay in the major leagues, find a, find a place, a role for him in the major leagues. Well, and Justin Turner broke out after being in the majors for a few years, Max Muncie last year, he all of a sudden blew up and after, after kind of washing out, he was released from Oakland Yeah, and then the Dodgers picked him up. I think he spent a full year in the minors uh, working on swing changes and training with the new staff and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden he popped. Yeah. So who knows? You know, I it, it could go any which way. But Ty France is a nice guy, and we appreciate him spending the time. Um, so he hinted at some things that Tony Gwynn said. Yeah. And <laughs> and so it's it's not exactly family friendly. Um, but I can kind of paraphrase. So one of them was that if you swing at garbage, you're going to get garbage. Yeah. Um, and you, Tony Gwynn always harped the the Ted Williams line of get a good pitch to hit. That's the first rule of hitting. Why did he hit well against why did Tony hit well against Greg Maddox? Tony would say he threw strikes. Yeah. Yeah, you swing at strikes. Uh-huh. But go ahead. And go. then the other one he said, um now how can I phrase this? Was that uh you, you can't play with um and it was with it was about pucker. how you, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can't play with tight a certain body part. Um and I, I can I can definitely see cool. that. I was never a player who could figure out how to not do that because when I step up to the plate, I was nervous and I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the comfort. And so I was just reacting to what happened. And usually that meant that I was either not swinging at all or swinging right over the top of something or away late. Well, when when the player is gripping, Mm -hmm. that means they're actually gripping the bat. You know, they're, they're, they're holding the bat tighter and they're getting more tense. And sometimes you hear uh, the said there, you know, he's creating sawdust with the bat because he's just gripping it so hard, trying so hard. When in baseball, you need to be relaxed. And so think about how other body parts are just as tight when. <laughs> right, right. Like if you're a fighter pilot and you get hit with a missile, 
you, there's a pucker factor there. You're puckering uh-huh. something. Yep. Um, Got to hope you don't get in trouble for doing that, but you'll be okay. <laughs> um, it wasn't that fun. Um, I, I, you know, I love that he's still friends with Tony. You know, I love that he spent a lot Junior. more. Junior. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tony Junior. Um, that he got to meet, you know, a lot of the family and it's still pretty close to those guys. Yeah. Um, I think I said something about the Gwynn family. They, they they bring people in and they establish relationships like that and that's it's a lasting legacy that Tony left. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I dug that five roommates and God, yeah. Can you imagine? I, it, it sounds like that's a common thing yeah. that you pack a bunch of guys into a little apartment or a house somewhere. You know, and that goes right back down to these guys get paid a living wage. Yeah. Uh, we talked about nutrition. And how do you get, how, you know, how's a, as a developing athlete, how do you get fed at a decent, uh, a decent rate where you're, you know, you're not just eating empty calories with the McDonald's, with the, with the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that they always talk about. Um, something I think that as tough as the, it's another subject, but it has to be discussed. It has to be on the table in the future sometime because it's just, it's, it's horrible. It's yeah. horrible. And it's, it makes no sense if you're trying to invest in someone um, and you're not giving them the tools to succeed. So you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by getting all this cheap labor mm-hmm. while you're still trying to expect them to, you know, to get better and grow and, and you peak athletes. So I found it interesting it listening to the Robert Stock or the, the, uh, the, the try harder podcast yeah. that they were asking about spring training and what's different in different places. And he pointed out that at the Padres facility, the minor leaguers eat in the same cafeteria right there's one kitchen uh, there's one kitchen and so the but that means at spring training the minor leaguers get the same food that the big leaguers get and apparently in other organizations that's not the case the big leaguers they've got you know they make the food on command or whatever you want and then the minor leaguers they've got a different they eat from a different okay i've been to the angels i've been to the angels backfields i've been to the angels um spring training complex they have the minor leagues is totally separate Okay. Like the minor league, you know, the backfields are all the same, but there's a whole minor league clubhouse. Okay. I'm pretty sure if I remember that correctly. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Because they all go into one building. But I don't know what's in that building, but it's a big building and the major leaguers, minor leaguers, they're all together. Right, right. And which, and it was funny because like Stock's like, it kind of pissed him off. And I don't know, pissed him off, but he's like, they're getting the same food I am. You know, back in my day. Right. Well, <laughs> it's a, this is a great podcast, but that... You know, and that goes along the lines of those guys. I mean, how long has Patini been there? How long has Adrian Morhone been there? Uh-huh. Uh, I know those, uh, you know, Morhone's got money. Uh, but a lot of those guys come to the complex because I'm sure they're getting fed. Not only is the facilities, uh, you know, top notch and professional, but I'm sure they're getting fed. I'm sure there's, you know, there's staff there that are getting fed with it, with the lunch line that it has a lot to do with just having a nice ball field to play on and weights to lift. But you have trainers, you have food, you have nutrition, you know, and that's mm-hmm. huge. Um, well, speaking to, of nutrition, I'm getting hungry. Yeah, dude, we need to get you out of here. <laughs> uh, no snacks for this time. Usually, uh, you know, Liddy brings home like a meat tray or something like that. We'll have some kind of food, but we didn't. Had no food. Sorry, man. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, we want to thank Ty France for coming on, man. That was really cool. That was very cool. We actually taped that on Super Bowl Sunday, so that was really uh, – that was cool for him to come on Super Bowl Sunday. And it was nice of him to let Angela sit in. Actually, he asked that Angela stay. Yeah. Um, she just wanted to say hi to Ty, but she wound up staying and asking a few questions. And, you know, after we after we 
ended recording and it was off record. He actually had a couple other things he shared with us that was, I wish that Angela would have asked those questions when we were recording. But anyway, uh, it was, it was a good interview and I'm glad that we uh, had the chance to do it. Absolutely. So that's it. You can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan and I am at zippy underscore TMS until then. Go Padres. Go Padres.